you take your Bibles and turn to the book of Titus, please. While you're turning there, our weekly total is 163 gospel contacts. That brings us to a yearly total of 4,576. Thank you for your wonderful uh, consistency in sharing God's Word. Titus chapter 1. God willing, we'll be expounding verses 13 and 14 this morning. Titus chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. The title of the message this morning is Fables and Faith. Fables and Faith. While you're turning there and everyone's getting settled into their Bibles, I heard from Brother Wisdom this week, and he was invited to come teach on understanding the gospel to a group of people. And he got to share, he told me what he's learned through the seminary course. And he thanked us again for our investment in him. In chapter 1 so far, Paul has been giving Titus qualifications for pastors and warning him about the many false teachers that are out there, especially at that time on the island of Crete, where Titus was ministering and setting up pastors in those different cities on that very large island. And to emphasize the corruption of that location, last week Paul quoted from one of the uh, pagan Cretan prophets who spoke about the poor character of his own people on that island. In verse 13, if you'll look there with me, Paul said, One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, quote, the Christians are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. And we learned what a slow belly was last week. And now Paul, confirming what the prophet said about the Christians' character, said in verse 13, This witness is true. This witness is true. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your precious word. Thank you for these wonderful people who've come here this morning to open your scriptures. God, I pray you'll teach these people, edify them, encourage them, enlighten them. And I pray for those who are sick and unable to be here with us this morning, and those out of town as well and watching online. We pray, Father, for the edification of your body. In Jesus' name, amen. This witness is true, Paul said meaning the testimony the Christian prophet gave of his own people, is true. Paul is saying, Titus, there is a genuine lack of morality in the hearts of the people who are around you. And I want to tell you, church, this witness is still true. Never underestimate the moral depravity of some people who claim to love the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, don't be naive, Titus. There are morally depraved people who are infiltrating our churches and masquerading as the angels of light. And it's no different today. So Paul said, look back in your text, wherefore, rebuke them sharply. Call out the false teachers and sharply rebuke their unsound doctrine as well as those who listen to it. And that Greek word translated sharply here, it has the idea of cutting something off. 
Have you ever been in a conversation with someone or you've been listening to two people's conversations and one person starts to say something that's really out of line and the person listening just cuts them off immediately? That's what Paul is saying. That's the idea of rebuke them sharply, cut them off. He's telling us here we shouldn't tolerate false teaching even for a moment. Even a little bit. We should shut it down as soon as we hear it. This is not, Paul's not talking about cutting out the competition between religious leaders. Man, if you're teaching the truth, there is no competition. We're all pulling for the same team, all serving the same master. And as long as we're preaching the same truth, there's no competition. So Paul's not trying to cut out competition. He's trying to cut out sound doctrine. And the only way you can do that is to rebuke those false teachers sharply. Cut them off. Don't tolerate it. Don't embrace it. Don't say they're just of a different domination, or a little bit different persuasion. Cut it off. And do so, Paul said, look back in your text, that they may be sound in the faith. That they may be sound in the faith. That the people that you're that are under your um, ministry may be sound in the faith. And the word sound means to be healthy. Have you ever perhaps done a will, last will and testament? I being of sound mind and body, right? Healthy in the head, healthy in the heart, healthy in God's word. Listen, if there's anything I've ever wanted in my whole life, if there's anything I've ever wanted more than anything else, God's my witness. It's to be sound in my understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh my, what else? Is, is there anything more important than that? Nothing in the world is more important than that. To be sound in the faith is to not have any false belief that corrupts or destroys the purity of our understanding of God's word. I want that more than anything else. Your understanding of the gospel. And your understanding uh, of your faith in Jesus Christ. For the life of me. I cannot understand why someone would want to pervert the gospel. And lead people astray. I can't understand why something so precious as the gospel. And, and a subject so important as where we spend eternity. I don't understand why it's constantly being attacked, distorted, and denied by men for whom it's meant to help. But it is. Satan wants you to be unhealthy in the faith. But God wants you to be sound in the faith and for us to rebuke those who corrupt it. A false teacher doesn't care about the faith of Christ. But an immature Christian who does care about the faith, is still, due to their spiritual immaturity, prone to hear something that, that on the surface sounds like it's good, solid doctrine. But under the surface, it's not good, solid doctrine at all. And it's common for young, impressionable Christians who are eager to learn God's Word, to, for them to hear or to read some unsound doctrine and then it sounds good to them, and so they wanting to share what they've learned with many other people, they sometimes are prone to repeat that unsound doctrine. On several occasions, 
I've had to point out to new Christians the error of something they shared. Maybe they've heard it on the Christian radio station, you know, uh, or they read it on the Internet or watched it on YouTube. And so they think, oh, well, that sounds good. And they repeat it. And uh, they've always been grateful when I've corrected them. They've always been grateful because they don't want to believe something that's wrong. And they sure don't want to repeat something that's wrong and be accountable for sharing something wrong with another person. A true Christian would never lead someone astray. I can't count the number of times Brother Doug, even today, still comes up to me and tells me how important it is to him. He says, I don't ever want to tell somebody something wrong, preacher. He always says that. Don't ever want to tell somebody something that's wrong. People who care about the truth won't care to be rebuked by it. I'll repeat that again. People who care about the truth... It won't bother them to be rebuked by that truth because more than anything else, they want to be sound in the faith. Now, now, that said, Paul didn't tell Titus, rebuke them that they may be embarrassed. Or you get on Facebook and some kind of social media and you see a Christian that says something that's wrong, and oftentimes they do. Man, I see a lot of people say stuff that's wrong on Facebook. Christian people. And it's just as unsound as it can be. And uh, a lot of times there may be this temptation. Well, if I rebuke them openly and just put a comment on here and rebuke them openly, then I will look like the superior Christian here. And everyone can say, ah, now this person is he's a little bit higher up than that other Christian right there. Paul said he didn't say rebuke them that they may be embarrassed. We don't need to try to embarrass a Christian that teaches something wrong. Paul didn't say rebuke them that they may feel condemned. We could sure do that. But the the purpose of rebuking is not to uh, condemn people. It's to correct people, right? We're not trying to make somebody feel guilty. We're trying to make them sound in the faith. So we need to be very careful when it comes to rebuking unsound doctrine. Remember, we're not trying to, to damage The goods, we're trying to recover them. We're trying to take the spoiled apple out of the barrel so the other apples will not be uh, uh, spoiled. Paul wanted the Christian believers to be sound in the gospel of Christ in verse 14, not giving heed to Jewish fables. Not giving heed to Jewish fables. Christians need to give heed to the faith but they don't need to give heed to the fables. To give heed means to pay attention to the teaching and start to believe it. We don't need to pay attention to the false doctrine, which is why we're supposed to cut it off sharply. We're not supposed to pay attention to the false doctrine, because if we do, we may get around to believing it. False doctrine can be so cleverly packaged It can sound so convincing on the surface until somebody who has the wisdom of God and the knowledge of the Bible can go in there and expose its error. Paul wanted to make sure that the Christians in Creed paid close attention to the word of God, but paid no attention to the words of men. Fables. Fables are things that men make up and then men go and teach. Fables, they're, they're, they're man-made inventions. So a Jewish fable was a falsehood of man taught among the Jews 
as the truth of God. In verse 10, Paul told Titus that the Jews, whom he called the circumcision, were the most dangerous bunch of teachers in the area at that time. What is a Jewish fable? Let me give you a good example of a Jewish fable. It's called Kabbalah. Have y'all ever heard of Kabbalah? Have y'all practiced Kabbalah? I hope not. Not will rebuke you sharply this morning. But Kabbalah is a system, it's a, a, of esoteric Judaism, I guess is the closest way I could explain it. And let me, let me explain esoteric. I'm going to give you a definition of esoteric. If you're taking notes, that's E-S-O-T-E-R-I-C, esoteric. Esoteric. People love esoteric teachings. It's very um, tempting to want to be involved in some esoteric fable. I don't know why, but it is. Actually, I think I do know why, and I'll explain it in a moment. Esoteric, here's your definition. <clears throat> Intended for or understood by only a small group, especially one with specialized knowledge of interest. Mysterious is another synonym for it. Relating to or being a small group with specialized knowledge. How about that? The little inner circle, esoteric. We've got knowledge the rest of y'all don't have. When you look at someone with an esoteric meaning, someone with like with Kabbalah or something like that, um, they don't approach the Bible and simply read it for what it says, which is what we do here. We read it. We tell you what the definitions, the actual words mean. And then we let the text explain itself to you. With a, with a fable, with a, a, an esoteric teaching, then what you end up having is, is this inner circle knowledge, a special message hidden within the message that only our little group knows. And so with this esoteric teaching and these Jewish fables, they look for special hidden meaning inside the Scripture that only the special people get to know. We do not live in Crete. We live in Maybank, Texas. Nevertheless, we also have our esoteric teachings of our own. How many of y'all remember the Bible code being pushed back in the 90s? Remember that? That was esoteric teaching. They, they, they took the Bible and instead of just reading the scriptures for what they actually said, they looked for hidden messages inside. Maybe every third word, every little codes inside and you could pull out messages. So after some kind of event happened, like maybe a, a bombing or maybe a certain president with certain characteristics, then they would go and they would find and try to find a code and pull out certain words from the Bible and make it look like there was a prophecy for that person to show what happened uh, and, and like, like some kind of special meaning. And if we had this code and we could decipher this code, we could tell the future. Not everybody has that. You've got to have the code for that. The Masonic Lodge is also an esoteric group. And if you're in the lodge, I'm sorry, but it's an esoteric group. That the inner circle, we've got special knowledge that 
the outer circle doesn't have. And, and we can't share our special knowledge, the, the Masons who, who, who claim to be Christians, that we can't share our special knowledge with the rest of the church. We can't cut that information up with you. For the church to have the special knowledge we have, we can't give it to the church. The church has to come to us. As if the church is supposed to learn the deeper meaning of Christianity from another organization other than that which Jesus founded. It's amazing. But there's a certain amount of pride when you feel you're in an inner circle and you have some of the mysteries that the, the average Christian, the average Bible teacher, the average teacher of the Torah, if it's a Jewish fable, doesn't have. It's mysticism, and it's dangerous. You may remember the young man who sat in my office not too long ago and told me that we have to keep the law to be saved, and that he believed Jesus was offering animal sacrifices in heaven right now to keep the law. That also is a fable, and it needs to be rebuked sharply. If Paul was writing us today, though, he would no doubt be warning us about American fables. (laughs) American fables. Let me tell you, there's an American fable spreading like wildfire right now by false teachers who deny that God makes people male and female. I was watching an interview last week of a conservative journalist, many of you all may have seen it, who was asking a liberal woman, I, I, I guess it's a woman who can tell nowadays, about gender identity. And the journalist asked the woman, he said, if I see a chicken laying an egg, would it be wrong for me to assume that that's a female chicken? Roosters crow. Hens lay eggs. His point was gender is not complicated. It's it's really something that's quite simple and very easily observed by people. We can look and say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. But the liberal woman told the journalist a fable. She told him that chickens have assigned gender. But unlike people, chickens don't have gender identity. They just have assigned gender. So whatever they are physically, that's really what they are. If it's a rooster, then it's a male. If it's a hen, then it's a female. But it don't work that way for people, she said. And she said the reason is, is because chickens don't cry. And they don't have complex feelings like us. So if you're a chicken, then your gender is assigned to you when you develop in the egg. It's determined by your anatomy when you hatch. But if you're an emotional basket case, then your anatomy doesn't count. No gender has been assigned to you at birth. Your anatomy means nothing at all. In fact, it may be wrong. Your feelings aren't wrong, but your actual physical composition is. Your body has lied to you about who you are. There's a group of Lutheran leaders right now who are promoting this actual train of thought. They're promoting the queer agenda in their denomination. It's called reconciling in Christ. Boy, that sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, who does not want to be reconciled in the Lord Jesus Christ? 
But that's what the Lutheran group calls themselves. And many, many Lutheran churches are signing up and adding themselves to the Reconciling in Christ roster. From my understanding, there's over 600 Lutheran churches and Lutheran-based organizations that are now have fully swallowed the lo- the the uh, woke rather LGBTQIA plus pill. Their statement reads, "Quote: We are Lutherans, working with the recognition that racism, sexism, ageism, ableism, heterosexism." homophobia, and all other artificial distinctions that seek to raise one group into privilege and preference over another conspire to diminish our world and church. It's actually the opposite. The thing that they're teaching is the demonic conspiracy to diminish our world and our church. These woke leaders preach inclusion in the name of Jesus. But when I read their statement, I I went and I read their statement on evangelism. They had a whole thing about evangelism. You know what evangelism is to them? It's basically spreading their false teaching. When I read about evangelism, there was no mention of the need for salvation. There was no mention of the cross, the resurrection, the empty tomb. They compared evangelism to the idea of talking to someone about your favorite restaurant. They said, as you would talk to someone about your favorite restaurant, evangelism is talking to someone about the life-changing experiences you've had with God. Well, that's great, isn't it? That's what evangelism is. Do you know what you just heard? You just heard a fable in the church. You just heard false teachers tell the church that the church needs to change with the world. And the gospel is not about what Jesus experienced on the cross, but our so-called experiences that we have with God. And suddenly, what Brother Doug experiences, what this person experiences, what another person believes they've experienced with God, suddenly that's evangelism. And suddenly the gospel has been completely lost by whatever our subjective feelings happen to believe our experiences with a higher power. There's another American fable being told in our churches and classrooms right now as well. It's the fable that we evolved over millions of years rather than being created by God on the sixth day of creation. And just as the fable of gender identity has now seeped into our churches and is being embraced, Also, a lot of so-called Christians are embracing evolution today. Christian leaders, Bible teachers, are embracing evolution. How many of y'all ever heard of the J.D. Greer, who served as president of the Southern Baptist Convention up until 2022, up until this year? President of the Southern Baptist Convention. He actually wrote an article entitled, Can Christians Believe in Evolution? Well, you would think that with a good Southern Baptist president of the Southern Baptist Convention, you'd think that he would say, God forbid, you know, that's not what he did. Pastor Greer said, quote, an open Bible 
and an open mind are key when contemplating the concept of evolution, end quote. Pastor Greer said, quote, this is one of those areas where Christians should be free to disagree, end quote. There are many conservative Bible scholars, he says, who believe in something like evolution. Isn't that something? I'm going to quote, I'm going to quote him again. Pastor Greer said, there are many conservative Bible scholars who believe in something like evolution. That's a lie. There are, I'm sure, many so-called scholars who believe in something like evolution. There are no conservative Bible scholars who do, I assure you. Pastor Greer said, quote, With all due respect to those who consider this, talking about evolution, a priority one issue, I don't believe that Genesis 1 itself gives us enough to come to rock-solid answers about the creation timetable. End of quote. God help us, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Church, do you know what you just heard? You just heard an American fable seeping into the church. It's dangerous because it tells us that Adam and Eve may not be the first people. <laughs> That the six-day creation may not be true. That Genesis chapter 1 is really not that big of a deal. Let me tell you, this morning, the music over here wasn't heard in the monitor by some of the choir members. I'm kind of glad it happened. I really am. Because they started off wrong. And here was Brother Shepherd singing one thing, and here was some of the choir members singing something else. And then other choir members were actually with the music and the words, and the other half were like a few steps behind. And Brother Shepherd was trying his best to get them going. But once you get off at the beginning, the rest of it's going to be off at the end. And so Brother Shepherd rebuked them sharply. He says, what did he do? It is cut it off. And what did he do? Started at the beginning again to get it right. Let me tell you, if you're here this morning and you've heard uh, teaching and you've come from maybe a Southern Baptist church or, or some other denomination or place uh, or church, I don't care what kind of denomination it was, and they teach you that, well, we can blend science and the Bible together. Science doesn't tell us we've been here for billions of years. I'm sorry. I don't buy that at all. But let me tell you this. If you've come from something and you've tried to blend evolution and, and the Bible together, thinking, well, we'll just kind of update the Bible to what the scientists have learned, you're going to be very sorry one day. I've heard over and over again through the years how the scientists have had to readjust the timetable and stuff that they once thought were right. One day they're going to readjust it totally, and it's going to be back to six days. That's the Bible. Adam and Eve were the first people. They didn't evolve from monkeys. God formed man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. All of us descended from Adam 
We, we inherited Adam's sinful race, and we have to be redeemed by Jesus to be saved. If you get Genesis 1 off, you're off on everything. We have to cut this off, rebuking it sharply. These are fables that are destroying our churches right now. Churches that still have the same name, whether they're Lutheran, whether they're Southern Baptist, but they're not embracing the same Bible truth, that sound doctrine. Instead of tolerating these fables and saying, well, we have to be free uh, to, to agree to disagree, the Southern Baptist Convention should be rebuking them sharply. Instead of embracing these fables, the Lutheran denomination should be rebuking them sharply. But because they're not, many people no longer hold on to sound doctrine. They should not be giving heed to fables, Paul said. Look back in your text. And commandments of men. The commandments of men are commandments that spiritual leaders make up. And then they place the burden of those commandments on their followers. False teachers not only love to make stuff up. They love to make rules up. And they love to add those rules to the gospel for people to be saved. They love rules. The church of Christ denomination has six official steps to take in order to be saved. And one step you're taking until you die. Six official steps. I got this off the Church of Christ, uh, Church of Christ website. Step one, you must hear. Well, that's fine unless you're deaf. Step one, you must hear. Step two, you must believe. Step three, you must repent. Actually, they don't know what repentance is. If they did, uh, repentance would be involved in step two, or it would, they would swap, and step three would be belief, and step, one, step two would be repent. But they don't understand what repentance is. Step four, after you hear, after you believe, and then after you repent, step four, you must confess. You're still not saved yet. Now that you believe and repent, now you have to confess audibly with your mouth. Step five, you must be baptized. Still not saved yet. You still have to be baptized. That's the fifth step. Step six, the last step. Quote, you have to be obedient. You have to continue to be obedient, is what they said, for the rest of your Life. Amazing. The rest of your life, you'll never know if you're going to heaven. For the rest of your life, you'll never know. Because who knows what the next day may bring. You may slip up and slip into hell. Six steps. Do you know what you just heard? You just heard the commandments of men that Paul warned us about. That have crept into the church and defiled it. It's unsound doctrine. Whether they are fables like that of the Jews. Or Joseph Smith. Or Mohammed. Or of our depraved American culture. Because they're all out there. Or whether they're commandments like 
like those you just heard, the six steps, or, or like the, the commandments that the Catholic Church gives their people, uh, or the Seventh-day Adventist, or some other legalistic perversion of Christianity. They all came from man, though they claim to come from God. And Paul said, we don't have time to play spiritual politics so we can be liked and accepted by false teachers. He said, we need to be rebuking these people sharply because their man-made unsound doctrines are those, quote, look back in your text, that turn from the truth. That's what they do. They turn people from the truth. In the name of Christ, they turn people from the truth of Christ. They're dangerous for that reason. I have no doubt that the woke Lutherans who taught that evangelism was telling about our experiences with God will one day say, Lord, Lord, have not we taught in thy name? That's what Jesus said they'd say. I have no doubt that many Church of Christ teachers who tell people they must work their way uh, to heaven, must work for their salvation and keep the commandments and follow these six steps their, their whole life, I have no doubt that they will say, Lord, in your name have not we done many wonderful works? You have to. That's the sixth step. In the name of Christ, they turn people from the truth of Christ. That word turn has the idea of people approaching the truth. They're on their way to the truth. And then someone kind of grabs and puts their arm around them and just sways them out of the way so they never reach it. That's the idea of turning them from the truth. Someone embarks upon a spiritual journey, setting out to learn the Bible and know God, but as they're on their spiritual quest, some false teacher comes along, gets their attention, and draws them off the road to truth, and they stumble into the pit of error. Revelation 1 verse 4 I'm sorry, Revelation 14, excuse me. Revelation 14, verse 11 and 12 describes the fate of those who follow the fables and commandments of men. The Bible says, Revelation again, 14, 11, 12 says, And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. The beast and the mark of his name will be the greatest fable and commandment of man ever taught to this world. That's all it's going to be. The same old stuff on steroids. The beast and the mark of his name was embraced by those who believed the fable and kept the commandments of men. The lamb and the mark of his name was embraced by those who believed the truth and kept the commandments of God. One group was destroyed forever. The other was saved forever. But mark this down, church. One fable is just as dangerous as another. It doesn't matter what the devil uses to turn a person from the truth of Christ, so long as he turns them from the truth of Christ. That's all that matters to the devil. Listen, a man can drown clinging to a rock just as easily as he can drown clinging to a boat anchor. 
right? Both will take you down. Both will, will have you in the water holding on to a weight rather than a boat floating on top of it. Doesn't matter what you hold on to. It only matters that you sunk. The cross of Christ is the, the life vest. The fables of false teachers, however, they come in many different shapes and sizes. And Paul said they would destroy whole households. Pastor Greer said while he does not personally believe God cre- uh, created the world through the process of evolution, he said we need to keep an open Bible and an open mind. But Paul said we need to keep our Bibles open and our minds closed to everything else. He said, these people are destroying families. They're turning people away from the truth. We don't need to to keep an open mind. We need to keep our eyes open for these false teachers and rebuke them sharply that our churches may be sound in doctrine, sound in the faith of Jesus Christ, rather than being turned from the truth of it. And with that, we'll go ahead and stop for today. And Lord willing, we'll take back up next Sunday in our next verses here in the book of Titus. How relevant the scriptures are that were written so long ago. How relevant they still are today. And I'll tell you, church, it's getting weird out there. I mean, really, really weird out there. And the state that our church is in, uh, that our, our, our society is in right now and our world is in, it's getting to where people will almost believe anything, no matter how absurd it is. And as we continue the, the great delusion, I mean, if you watch how people are so deluded right now, you can get a good idea of why they will believe the lie of the devil and take the mark of the beast. You, you can, I can see it. It's so plain to me because they're blind. And the closer we get to the end of time, to the near of our Lord coming back, the more bizarre, the more hated the truth is going to be, and the more prone our churches are going to be as people in the church are exposed to this junk in the world the more prone we're going to be to be porous and have that stuff start to seep into our congregation by the people who frequent the church and come into the pews. And it's going to be our job to stand strong and to sharply rebuke the errors that the world is producing. Otherwise, like the Lutheran church, like some of this Southern Baptist stuff, otherwise we'll soon be overtaken by it. It will no longer be a church at all. The Lord will remove our candlestick and this church will never be shining the light of truth again. We cannot have that. Stay strong, stay in God's word and rebuke them sharply when God by his grace and in his love gives you the opportunity. Father, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you, Father, that your word cuts like a sword. It separates, it divides asunder between soul and spirit. Between the fables of men and the spirit of God. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you will help us, Father, 
to be able to distinguish, Lord, between truth and error, to be wise and loving in our rebuke. But, Lord, I pray more than anything else, we will be sound in the faith, growing in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, Lord, it's been um, rather harsh, rather uh, difficult to stay teaching on false teachers uh, as it reminds us, Father, Lord, of uh, the difficult times we're in. But, Lord, it is timely that we do so. And I thank you for your scriptures that tell us what we need to do and how we need to handle it. In Jesus' precious name we pray, Lord. Help our poor nation cast down wicked and raise up the righteous in their place. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.